0: Listener production. I'm looking inside and working out why. Why do I need that validation? Why do I not believe that what I've got to give is enough? And I wonder if that's going to be a lifetime of work. You know, why do I need that person to think I'm smart? Why do I need that person to think I'm thin? Why do I need that person to think I'm funny? Like that is definitely a work in progress.
1: I don't know about you, but in this time of social isolation and Instagram, I really crave connected conversations. So I'm going to dig deep to give you a new window into the souls of the people we all love and admire. I always cry and have a laugh so you can expect some tears and laughter as we celebrate the real-life flaws and vulnerabilities that make us human. My guest for this episode is entertainer extraordinaire Julia Morris. Julia is a TV host, actor, singer and stand-up comedian. And if that isn't enough, Julia is also an author. Her latest book, Makes It Easy, is a hilarious self-help guide. With self-belief and determination, Julia is at the pinnacle of her television career. But her road to stardom hasn't always been glittery and glamorous. And I want to know how she stayed true to herself in an industry that can chew you up, especially if you're a woman, Julia Morris, I adore you. There's something just about seeing your face that just makes my cheeks ache because I'm ready to laugh and smile. You're such a darling. Oh, well it's so wonderful
0: to see you. I mean, what I really love about uh, women in our industry is that we all go back. A long, long way, don't we? It's not like you know. Of course, the young people coming through, I start to get to know them. But you know, there are certain incredible women that I admire greatly, and you are certainly pretty much the top of the list. I've been so looking forward to chatting.
1: Oh, you're such a darling! Because right back at you, because I'm I'm now 51. I love it. I love getting older. What about you? How old are you? 53. 53 oh. And wearing it like a badge.
0: <laughs> I I love it.
1: What do you think it is about getting older that makes you happier? I
0: I think that I had a real final burst of trying to look sexy in about my mid-40s where I got quite slim and, uh, you know, I, I was back in wearing sort of booby things and shorter skirts and sort of maybe just, you know, flexing. Kind of for one last time. That's what I thought was happening. And then turning 50, you're just flexing in a different way. So there's a certain sex appeal, I think. I mean, it's odd that I'm talking about sex appeal. Who cares? As if you could be bothered. I mean, I'll just be like, please, you know, seriously, can I pay someone and take the night off?
1: Um, <laughs> well, it's sleep. I reckon sleep is the ultimate aphrodisiac. It's like I oh. don't want the hand in the middle of the yes. night
0: absolutely and then I think what what happens with 50 is there's a real confidence in knowing what you're doing and I have definitely stopped explaining things twice I think as I was younger I'd be like yeah but it is because you know and they have this sort of desperate need to get I am across it now at 50 I'm probably going to say it once if you don't listen, there's nothing really I can do for you. So I may say it twice, as you know, with children, you're kind of twice as a minimum. But I've also stopped over discussing and mum splaining too much with the girls too, because you know, they get this look on their face as if to say, like, what well, I reckon you should just give me a smack because it would make this moment go past faster. <laughs>
1: That is so (laughs) true in terms of not so much the smacking but in terms of because I'm a bit of an over-explainer too and I do like the sound of my own voice and I do get on a roll and I think, oh, now's our chance to talk about sex or intimacy. or
0: Absolutely. I'm trying not to let them regret sharing anything, (laughs) you know, like I found when such and such said this to me and then I go away and think about it and I'm like, oh, I'm going to. I'm going to go and find that person. (laughs) Like I do all of that and then I want to come back and go, here's some solutions or some some things I've thought about that, you know, you are enough. If they don't like it, they can (laughs) themselves, whatever, right? (laughs) So then then you can see the wash come over the faces where you're just like, I am so sorry that I shared that with you now. And I remember feeling that way where you're just like, oh, my God, So you start to tell your parents less and less and less, I think. And I'm not really a cool mum like that. Like I can just leave it and let you come to me when you're ready. I'm kind of a little, how am I going to control the outcome? I I need everyone to be okay. I think I've got some of those answers. Do you want to listen to them?
1: No, they (laughs) don't. No, they don't. But I think too, when I think about what I told my mum, my daughters tell me far more, especially my elder daughter, and she continues yes. to. And I oh. have to now try and master the calm face, like not Absolutely. going, not going. Oh, oh no, dear! It's that. It's really and, and hard. re
0: and relearning, and and also trying to because I've done so much work over the years. Um, you know, certainly in the last five years since menopause, I started seeing a psychologist because I'm just like. I feel like I can't harness my brain properly to, you know, I feel like I want to do this and I want to do that and I need to turn down the volume on all of that because when you add loads and loads of work and loads and loads of travel and uh, maybe a little sense that time is running out for women of a certain age, which is sort of with every passing month, that's becoming less true. We might not be paid as fairly, but we're certainly working longer. So. Um, trying to trying to calm my actual farm. <laughs> that's, I think that's been my lesson for sure. I'm still not nailing it. So you know, and also wanting to teach the girls lessons. I didn't want to learn lessons at their age. So why am I trying to do that? You know, I, I'm, I'm not long ago. I don't know if you, I don't know if you noticed or not, but I had all the beef cut out of my eyelids. Oh, so like an eye lift. Sort yeah. Of deal. So, because what has happened is that the makeup artist couldn't even fine <laughs> a fine. socket. I need to hold it all up out of the way to just get a little bit of you know dusty blue in the side. <laughs> and so, it's something I've been thinking about for ages. But it is essentially cosmetic surgery, isn't it? Like. I went to the optometrist. I'd lost 25% of my sight. Those
1: eyelids were hanging down. That's why you lost your sight. You couldn't see through the eyelids. That's what it was. Oh, my
0: God. So I did what they call a field eye test where they sort of test your uh, field of vision. And the picture is amazing. It's like this whole semicircle of darkness at the top of my uh, field of vision. It was amazing. So at least now I actually went and made the inquiry and made the appointment cosmetically And now as the world turns, I can brag about how it's actually my eyesight, but the truth is it's a job I really wanted done. It was one of those things only for me, but then, and that's sort of, I had a little, I've had Botox over the years, but it's the only thing that I've done where I kind of wanted to be honest with the girls with also saying, I'm enough, but this is actually something I want to do. So it's kind of... It's a weird space there. That was a sort of a good lesson in how I'm not to push my thoughts to the girls, but at the same time, let them know that if this comes from a place of strength, this decision, not a, I don't look good enough, how, but, but I think I let that balloon go a long while ago. But when it's I a- pulled the ripcord and started eating, um, you know, raspberry bullets for every meal, I feel
1: like. <laughs> that- <laughs> but But it's about, though, I think choice and, and making a choice that is right yeah. for you and it mightn't be right for everyone but doing it no, it's a, in it's an, a pretty big choice that someone comes into your face. Yes but, but <sighs> to do it unapologetically I think is important because you own it and I think good on you. Yeah. With a lot of things that
0: I do I am pretty upfront about it. There's obviously things within my family unit that I keep to myself because that's respecting my family unit. So I do still have a very, very private side. But then there's another side of me that I think I can't then sell this kind of everyday person from Gosford and then not be honest about something like that. What, are you going to just think all of a sudden I've woken up (laughs) and all of a sudden my eyes decided to open? Refreshed. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. even my lashes were leaning forward. Oh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but but I say good on you because I was the same. I have Botox. I tell people about it because I thought I'm doing not only myself a disservice, but other women who go, "Oh, what's why does she, you know, look like that? And, and and I got so tired of reading all the articles with various people. Oh, I drink green juice. I stand on my head. I wear sunblock. Oh, that's why I look yeah, like this. Look what green juice did to me. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> you know, let's be honest because oh. that then I think, serves all of us, and, and I, I'm a proud feminist, as I know you are too. And, yeah, my, and it sets you free. Of course it does, and my brand of feminism is very much about supporting the choices that other people make, that other women make, yeah. and it mightn't be what we choose, but go for broke, you go and do it.
0: Oh, I, I have had to really school myself uh, having girls, as you know, both having two girls, uh, since they were little people I really had to turn something around in myself, which was making fun of other people when they walked past me in an outfit that they had decided to wear, let's put it that way. But maybe uh, old-fashioned me and the way I had been raised, I used to do a joke about, gosh, she threw on that dress and nearly missed, which I at the time thought was hysterical. But I never wanted the girls to hear that judgy bitching weirdness. I mean, that just happens in life anyway and people do speak like that. But coming from the core location, I'm like, I'm not going to do that. And even trying not to do fake celebration of someone either. Wow, that's an amazing outfit when it looks unusual or not what we're used to. So, yeah, that really took some training and it really took some deep breaths to not do that when we're walking down the street and just make fun of people for the sake of
1: it. It's hard though, isn't it? Because I think, because you do want to be your best self because you realise that your kids are like sponges and they soak up how you relate and how you respond. And I actually find, I don't know if you find this with both of your girls or one of them, but with my eldest Allegra, She's almost like my little conscience in the sense of cuz if people are mean to her or unkind I'll oh. be rude to them or I'll give them filthy looks and she'll be like oh, mom you oh. cannot do that or I might say something that I think is funny but it's really not and she'll be like mom that's mean do and oh. and it's it's extraordinary isn't it these, these I got little women really
0: um taken down recently we were uh we were in a shop and they were playing a uh, really hardcore rap song with all of the signature words that, you know, we're not meant to say. And, and we got into the car and I was like, how is that song? And I hadn't noticed it or heard it. And I'm like, well, what did it say? <laughs> <laughs> and I said it said, N and da da oh. whatever. But in, in a very unlike me, I said the words, right, because I'm like this is what the song said. Well, I got taken down and I'm like, hang on, I don't use that language. I don't feel that way. I don't speak down to anybody. (laughs) I certainly try not to. But what I'm telling you is what words that I heard in a shop and that's when I started to realise the separation of generation where I'm like, no, hang on. Uh, I, I don't, I don't use that language. But what I am doing is repeating the sentence. So surely, are oh, we not smart enough to know? She's just like, don't use it at all.
1: And I'm like, yeah, but she's like, no buts. I was like, <laughs> okay, I at, hear you. Yeah, and they teach us that. That's what I find. Yeah. And I had never expected that. Being a mum, that yeah, I true. would learn so much from my kids. I used to always think, "Well, I'll be the teacher." But more and more, I learned from them. And 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 what, and what? What
0: did I stand? Like I would. I was wondering what I stood to gain out of. Obviously, I was using the shock of what I'd heard and repeating the shock tactic. Maybe that's the exchange. I don't know. I wanted. I guess what I wanted from them was just to go. Can you even believe they would play that in a store? Right. That's all I wanted (laughs) in the whole exchange, and we connect over that, and amazing. But in actual fact, it ended up blowing apart. And I'm like, okay, well, the simple maths of it is: do not say that word out loud ever again in my whole life. Which, by the way, I don't think I ever had before that exact moment. (laughs) I'm like, but I'm not that
1: guy. She's just like, just don't do it. (laughs) <laughs> All right, you know I was a bit naughty when I was younger, and yes. I'm, and so seeing Allegra sort of on the precipice of of being uh, and so I want her to enjoy, but also I'm like, oh no, what does I this know. mean? It's really so hard.
0: Well, the only the only inner peace that we could feel is that that we slip through the system. So they are going to as well. Do you know what I mean? So we're
1: okay. We turned out all right.
0: I, you know, I had a, I had a good gut rolling around when I was younger. Let me tell you, (laughs) I was bad for it. These days, menopausal, I'm just like, back it up. No, too. (laughs) Break it up, pal. (laughs) <laughs> on with the doona, off with
1: the doona, on with the doona, off with the doona. <laughs> I joke with friends about cobwebs. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> it's a rapid at
0: this location.
1: How has your, I suppose, relationship with your body, for want of a better phrase, changed? Because... I was really angry when I read about when you were in, in L.A., you, what, you were told that you either had to put on weight or lose weight, that you didn't sort of fit yes. a mould per se.
0: It came from uh, the school that I was attending, the drama school, and the teacher whom I love deeply and dearly, she was just saying, you know, we'd been through a full pilot season She's like, I know what your talent is, I, you know I, know, I know the extent of your output, uh, what I can't work out is that there was no, n- no roles at all, not even a walk-on not even, and I just can't work it out. She's like, I see you as extremely talented. When you go into an audition room, they are looking for reasons to delete. And she's like, honestly, the only thing that I can think of is that you are, well, as we know, we know what Hollywood's like, seen and she's like, if you want to be in Hollywood, you bring your whole family over to Los Angeles to try and wind yourself into this. And she's like, you're not big enough, unfortunately, and you're not small enough to, you're, you're just like, delete, delete, delete. So, you know, if they're, if they're seeing 100 actresses for this role, People wearing the wrong shoes could get deleted. <laughs> so they'll just delete you for stupid reasons. That's the only thing I can think of. And are you going to move your whole family to Los Angeles to be a part of this system, which she said is f- up. There is no two ways about it. None of us like it. Everyone's trying to change it, but it's a very big beast to move, steps and stairs and steps and stairs. So she's like, what do you want to do? And it really had been on my mind for a long time. I would like to lose some weight. I would like to, I just never got round to it. I'd not long, like Sophie was barely one. So it's kind of like, it just kept, I just kept putting on more weight and being okay with that. And then putting on more weight and being okay with that. Till in the end, I'd see photos and I'd just be like, and also I definitely, I used to do a huge routine about having reverse body dysmorphia, where I think I look really hot all the time. Which always sound like a funny joke on stage, but is genuinely the truth. I'm like, I'm always in beautiful clothes. I feel amazing when I'm in my clothes most of the time, and it's only when I see a photo where I'm like, oh my god, when did I, when did that happen? I don't even remember that weight crawling on, and I've never been slim. I, and when I have been slim, I've worked really hard at it. You know, we all want quick and easy solutions to looking great. There's just not. My mum used to say a joke years ago when I was uh, much younger and she's like, look, here's the thing. If you want to lose weight, you just shut your mouth.
1: <laughs> oh, dear. But, but the key is, don't you think, with you saying you felt beautiful and you are beautiful, isn't it how we feel on the inside? Who cares really about when yeah, you see that yeah. picture or that image? It's really about how we feel on the yeah. inside. Yeah, so...
0: What's odd then is to go into an industry that is so, I mean, until recently solely focused on the way women looked. Your brains and your uh, humour really came in second and third. So now in this woke time and everybody's waking up slowly and that's amazing and how wonderful it will be for our girls Um, you know, and I try not to talk about weight in the house either. If I'm having, you know, I still have those days where I'm just like, oh, God, I'm so sick in self and that. I try not to do that in front of them. And then they'll have their own thing and that's, you know, you are surrounded by your school friends and your gang who will, may or may not talk like that anyway. But, you know, the giving myself a hard time stuff certainly at 50 starts to dissolve because you're just like, you know what, I don't care. And that's a really nice place to be. Doesn't mean I'm going to pull the ripcord and let the balloon go, or I might.
1: Yeah. And, but it's that sense of, and I know I feel it too, that you care less about what people think. And I reckon as a mature woman, that is so empowering, isn't it?
0: It also starts to make you work out um, who am I bringing into the lifeboat? (laughs) Who would I have to carry? And who am I bringing, like, you know what I mean? Who am I bringing into my lifeboat of life? I just made that up. I don't know. There's no lifeboat of life. But you know what I mean? Like, who are the featured extras that really make you probably feel bad about yourself? And who are the people that will celebrate all of your nuttiness and all of your greatness and all of the lovely things about you that you don't necessarily even believe?
1: And And they celebrate that.
0: And And they're the people
1: you want, aren't they? Yeah, build
0: build your citadel because, you know, as we know from funny old Twitter and increasingly more so uh, with Instagram and any of those sort of social networking stuff, which is a very big part of our business um, and, you know, keeping a presence in the industry if you want to continue working, is that the, the nastiness at the, at the flick of a switch it's just kind of boring now. You're just like, oh, trying to bully me? Well done. F- off, mate.
1: Yeah, block, <laughs> block, block. That's so, that, yeah. that, That's what I've learned. So with, yeah. So with LA though, so you were there though for, two, was it two years with your family?
0: Yeah, for two years. And when I first went over, I, I had I'd done the Montreal Comedy Festival, which is a big invitation meet where all of a sudden I'm finding myself on stage with Whoopi Goldberg or I'm finding myself on stage with John Cleese or... You know, it's beyond your wildest comedy performing dreams, it, these people are around you, which is very, very exciting. It lifts everybody's game. Everyone in our industry who employs comics is there trying to find the next big thing and you're really hoping it's you. And I managed to pick up an agent and a manager while I was there and that's big time. That's That's really amazing. And they were like, you need to be in L.A., and, of course, everybody gets told that, you're the answer, here we go, oh, my God, America's waiting for you because they actually just want everybody there because it makes it easier instead of trying to find work for you and you live in another country. So now that I see that, I'm like, okay, I get that. But once you're in Los Angeles, you're no longer interesting as a global person to them because you're just another actor or comedian trying to chip away in L.A. So it wasn't... Long before I thought, gosh, there's this constant swirl of auditions. And the manager, the agent that I had at the time, a guy named Mark, he said to me, Look, there's an amazing uh, comedy drama school. I'd be like, please. I'd studied at the ensemble when I first came out of school. I've de- <laughs> done study. Um, and he said, No, the thing about Los Angeles is like, even Leonardo DiCaprio is training when he's not working, everybody is. To keep that muscle. It's like a footballer. You wouldn't go out and play a game of football if you hadn't trained in 12 months. So it's really about giving yourself a sense of purpose and giving yourself a sense of forward motion when you're living in Los Angeles because it can be a lonely place so and and I feel like everybody else is getting further advanced than I am it's such a it's such a weird location la and it is a young person's game and i was 40 when i decided to do it
1: <laughs> but but i love that you see i think that is so fantastic that you do that that you that you took that risk that you took your family and off you went because you wanted to make it happen see what would yeah. happen
0: where does that come from within within 4 months you know, my, my a friend of mine calls it happy drive. It's not like it's the big ego truck, let's go because I'm amazing. It's more like, oh, why wouldn't we? That sounds like an adventure. The girls are still little enough for us to pick up and move. It felt like a super exciting adventure. I love America a lot. And even though I love Australia more, I just thought this is my big moment. This is it. Anyone who's ever doubted me, I'm going to make it in America and then they will know. And, of course, you know, as you get older, you're just not driven by that same narrative in your head. You're kind of like, uh, we need to make money so we don't have to turn lights off when we're retired. <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> so you came home. You came home to Australia. And now yes. was that when? Um, sort of by accident. yeah Celebrity I, I Apprentice?
0: Pre- It was so hardcore, Jess, while we lived in Los Angeles because it wasn't long before the money ran out. Whatever money I thought that I'd saved, uh, you kind of go through when you're not earning. In the two years I earned $1,200 in Los Angeles. I mean, I'm huge. (laughs) (laughs) This guy. So what I had to do to supplement the income was I'd have to fly home every five weeks, do some stand-up gigs, do a bit of Good News Week, do a bit of whatever was going and then fly back again. Pretty much went like that for a year and a half where every five weeks I'd be back on the plane, flying home to Australia, doing some work and kind of essentially paying for the next month or the next two months. And as you know, as a family, I've been the sole wage earner. So you kind of just do it. You do what you got to do. So one of those jobs that I came home for um, was uh, that I'd been offered The Apprentice and days before they started shooting, so I can only assume someone dropped out, I don't know, but anyway, lucky me, and I hadn't seen the show. I mean, I knew it was Donald Trump or whatever, and at the time we were kind of like, gosh, he's a big star, I wonder if he's going to be the host. I mean, thank God it was my oh. well, I mean. With his hair, uh, that <laughs> lovely grey hair that he has. I don't. I'm just... <laughs> I'm overheating. Sorry, I don't. Is that the? I don't know. I don't know what's happening. I got to get some breeze in. I can't. Anyway, a magnificent human being. So, um, home I came for apprentice, and because I'd already been in the UK for eight years, and then two years in the US, and popping home for those quick appearances where you've got a certain urgency to you because you're selling tickets to the next stand-up tour you're doing and you're constantly on tour. And what ended up happening in The Apprentice was it was the, it was the first format, television format that I had worked in where I got to be myself. I wasn't trying to sell something. I wasn't feeling urgent that I needed these my wages. I, I did The Apprentice hoping that every week I stayed in was another week's wages. I don't really feel like I'm super competitive until I sort of got in there, I guess. It was, a, you know, because there was lots of sports people and, you know, lots of really together people and I was just kind of like, oh, I'm just chipping away to get another week's wages so we can stay. Every week's wages is another month in Los Angeles. That's all I cared about. So I certainly for the first bit was kind of just mucking around. It didn't start to zoom my own game until about halfway through. where I'm, And also, even then, it's not like I was being manipulative or planning, but I was just kind of like, who are the pests? Who do I need to get rid of? Because the drainers are stopping me from winning each challenge. And each challenge means another month for me in Los Angeles. So that pest made us lose that challenge right there going. <laughs> that, and I started to really grow up with that. Mark, definitely taught us all that. It was just like, you know, like uh, very similar actually to the, whatever I said about Lifeboat before. It's like, you know, how many can you carry? Are you confident you can carry everyone? And if you can't, you're going to need to offload them. So um, he also taught us about having a bit of a think about what you, what you need to have in terms of money in order to survive your retirement. And that's the first time at what was I, 43 or something that I'd really started to think about, oh, my God, I've got no super. What, like 20 bucks or something that I'd contributed in 1973 or something? So it was growing up on a lot of levels. I find all of that confrontation, I am not, I am such a self-sacrificer. I can't bear showing up to someone or, you know, pointing out their foibles, but I learned to do it. I learned to do it in that show for sure, and I think, I think it was the my, uh, maybe my, my honesty that cut through. I don't know if it was a combination of honesty and kindness and just trying.
1: We all saw this other beautiful side of you in that show, and it became a real springboard into oh, so many other things, didn't it? Absolutely, it changed my life for
0: sure, and it made me. Want uh, to strive for better things too. I think it just came at the right time where the you know sort of I just been I don't want to say sleepwalking because you know I also had a I think a very successful first half of my career as well. Even in my times in London where I've been quite broke, I, I've never stopped working. At least my work ethic, I guess, has helped. That's from my parents who both you know at different times of my life have had two jobs at a time. So, you know, they weren't professional people, so you just got to get in and work. You know, I went into show business to avoid the what I perceive as the hard work of going into a job each day. And the irony is, of course, you've never worked harder than trying to keep these stupid plates in the air for as long as we have.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and because I want to pick up on what you have mentioned a number of times through our chat, is that you're getting better at asking for help. Yeah, you've been seeing a psychologist, you're working on those sorts of things.
0: And my girls have been training me. So, like the other day, I was like, you know what? I got up this morning and I I did this and I did that. And it's it's now 9:30. And I'd like, you know, I was trying to hit ground zero on the washing. This is all self-appointed, you know. Like I was trying to get what I call ground zero on my washing, clean the place, you know, COVID's like it's you know, do this, do that, run that over there, uh, go and pick that up, do the, oh, of all those things that I've stacked into my day. And I just said, you know, and then I have to cook everybody the dinner and then I've got to do this and now I'm going to empty the dishwasher. And, and my eldest Ruby said to me, "Mom, you just have to ask. And I was like, my old school thoughts, which are probably the thoughts from my parents, are... I shouldn't have to ask. You should see how hard I'm working and you should help me out. No, the teenagers. This is what they're going to see. Watch. (laughs) The
1: phone, exactly. That's all they're going to see. So I'm like, you're absolutely
0: right. Would you be able to come in and help me unpack the dishwasher, please? Yeah, sure. In the case, help me. I mean, they won't remember now for the next,
1: what, five months, but... (laughs)
0: but I just thought yeah I never asked why didn't I just ask
1: and what about in other parts of your life in terms of how have you turned around you know what I'm going to ask for this or I'm going to know my self-worth because I get the sense from talking with you is that perhaps your sense of self-worth and actually I can just be me as opposed to doing all the over the top, over the top all the time. Yeah, that, that, that's been a real knowing for you. That that's that's yeah, come with it's age and up time.
0: And I'm enough as well. You know, I know it's a big catchphrase at the moment. In you know, I'm enough. I am enough. You know, for, for many years in my comedy career, for sure, I wanted the real hit cool comics to think that I was funny, and it just gets this sense of desperation in the way you operate, you know, trying to, hey, guys, everybody love me, that sort of weirdness. I think as you get older, that all starts to dissolve as well. It's just like, I don't care if the cool kids, oh, a lot of those cool kids now, they're not as successful as I am. Oh, 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 I get it. So in needing that validation, I guess I've done a lot, i trying to do more work on looking inside and working out why. Why do I need that validation? Why do I not believe that what I've got to give is enough, and I wonder if that's going to be a lifetime of work. You know, why do I need that person to think I'm smart? Why do I need that person to think I'm thin? Why do I need that person to think I'm funny? Like, yeah. So that's a, that is definitely a work in progress. And why do I allow other people to put me down? So I think now that in, now it's certainly at my point in the industry after being actively as easygoing as I could, um, the menopause created this reckoning within me, I don't know, but now I am calling stuff out. I feel confident enough to know if I've got a job for another 12 months, as long as I don't go too hard, I can start to call things out a little bit. Like there was one time uh, when we were in Africa early in our series and, you know, we have cope, coped, produced with another production company in the uh, in the, in South Africa and they got Chris this great big kind of Prado man four-wheel drive-y kind of vibe and they gave me like a little beep beep ladies town car oh no so <laughs> the sibling in me is like how come he gets that no get, that's my immediate school of thought. And trying to actually say something, by the time I eventually say something, I go so hard that it's like a bushfire where you're like, I probably didn't need to go that hard. And now I'm learning to cut back the bushfire and say something like, if I just had gone in and said, hey, um, are we covering different terrain? Because I'm pretty sure we're going to the same locations. So, yes, he's taller than me, <laughs> but I don't need an automatic ladies' beep, beep. No, it wasn't an automatic beep, pardon. It was a, a geared car. It was a geared, tiny beep, beep car. I was just like, mate, apparently I'm over it. Anyway, <laughs> I'm still telling the story. And so. <laughs> but now I feel like I can call some stuff out because people don't notice the discrepancy between men and women's stuff. And I must. it must get so tiresome some days for my beloved doctor i mean he's so patient he really is a beautiful man
1: oh he's but lucky like, to I'll have be like, you hang on he's lucky to have you because i reckon you've taught him a we're lot we're lucky to have
0: each other yeah we have we we bring a lot we both bring a lot to the table and that's why it's been such a magical combination between the two of us you know but um, these days having you know like at one point because it was so remote like we are really in the middle of the the low-velled, you know, which is what we call the jungle floor. Like, we are out in it. You've got to walk 20 minutes into the bush to get anywhere near the set, you know, and when we first started to do that, they had a, um, because you've got to go out to the road, and the road is the only place where that sort of power is for a mobile toilet. You can't like, you know, those great big portaloos. But there wasn't a loo in its set because it was a, It was like a a wooden playground essentially and so like a couple of weeks in I'd be like, hang on, like what are girls meant to do? So you you can't step off set. You certainly can't step off set for a half an hour. What, walk 15 minutes to where the toilet is and walk 15 minutes back? Because it had been built by men, uh, probably signed off by men, uh, men can wee over the side. <laughs> um, uh, no, like there's always yes. this, this, you know what I mean? So yes. Like well, I don't have that sort of directional facility. And then younger women than me. I mean, obviously, I do. You know, whatever. I crossed over. But the what are younger women doing at a time when they actually need to be closer to a bathroom uh, once every four or five weeks? We're oh only goodness. out there for eight weeks. That's one of those things that I can make better for the women coming, uh, you know, coming behind
1: me. Which is what it's about, and I think. You do that so yes. beautifully because you are now in a position where you can use your voice when people will listen because I think as a woman yes. making our way through, especially within the media, you don't, because you've, you're you made to feel so grateful, I know I was early on in my career, that you don't yes. want to piss anyone off or say the wrong thing and so you keep sort of... Going okay, that's all right. I'll I'll deal with that. I'll suck yeah. that up. No problem. Somebody pointed out to me
0: not long ago about you know being in your woman, woman in your fifties, a female who's a little bit older, and she said, you know, if we, which we should be doing more of, looking to Aboriginal culture, and looking how elders are yes. admired, yes, listened to, and the, you know, the. Uh, fountains of information, experience, and respect. Uh, and I don't, I don't know whether that's some weird white privilege drawing a comparison. I don't mean to. No, but no. But it's... Is, as you become an elder, if I think of myself as an elder rather than an older woman in showbiz, which, by the way, uh, you know, we are only in our early fifties. I would like to think an older woman in the industry is in her seventies or eighties. Like, you know, I've still got another 30 years in me. Yes. So to feel like an elder at 50, you're just like, well, yeah, I. unlike the past, I reckon there is a, a lot more of the time I'm going to know what I'm talking about. And the <laughs> other thing I say about me to other people is don't wake the snow leopard. You are not going <laughs> to like the snow leopard when the snow leopard wakes up. Don't worry. <laughs>
1: And that's why I think you are so special because you you show up, you stand up, you do it in sparkles and with wonderful chutzpah. I just adore you, Julia. Thank you so much for talking. I could talk to you for months, you realise. I know.
0: We both know we're going to. <laughs> just reload the
1: tape. Yes, we want to keep going. <laughs> You are just a life force, Julia. Oh, well, as are you, my friend. (laughs) Oh, Julia makes me laugh so much. My cheeks are still aching. And she has this laser-like ability to pinpoint those crazy parenting moments. And she's a cheerleader for women, always looking for how she can lift you up. If you enjoyed this conversation with Julia, please take a second to rate, review and tell a friend. In my next episode, I speak with best selling author and minimalist Sarah Wilson about how we can use our voices to make a difference in our world. I think when you go down really low, you get to meet yourself. You get to meet the rawest, most ugly, most alone version of yourself. And from there, you are forced to become your own best friend. And so then you emerge again with that conversation, the kind conversation. The Jess Rowe Big Talk Show was presented by me, Jess Rowe. Audio producer, Chris Marsh. Executive producer, Nick McClure. Supervising producer, Sam Kavanagh. Until next time, remember to live big. Life is just too crazy and glorious to waste time on the stuff that doesn't matter. Listener.